People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast. From the OU Insider Studios, here's your host, Brandon Drum. Welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor podcast where myself, Brandon Drum, is here with you all and I have my colleagues Parker Thune and Colin Kennedy with me as well as usual and um, we're going to try to get this thing out. Last time we had a good podcast recorded and Megaphone didn't want to cooperate with us so we could not get our podcast up on iTunes and other things when the host side doesn't work we don't get to work so uh hopefully that all those things are ironed out i've been emailing with megaphone uh so hopefully this guy if you're listening to this and i'm talking about it you're hearing it and it's actually gonna work this time so uh there's been a lot of news going on um today was national signing day we're recording this on wednesday night oklahoma signed 16 players they ended up i think with the number 11 class but i believe they were top five in per commit average once again um and not only that uh they've signed five transfers that are pretty damn good and Riley, Lincoln Riley talked about all that today. We're going to get into all of that. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, the 2022 class. Uh, we're going to name the next three commits. And mind you, people, we're just guessing. This isn't something that, and not so much guessing. We're taking educated guesses here off of stuff that we know from behind the scenes, sources, what have you. But hey, we're going to try to get y'all hyped up about the 2022 class because it has a potential to be large in numbers and highly ranked. So there's a good chance that Oklahoma could be in the top 10. Once again, maybe even top five, depending on how many they end up signing. Uh, if they sign more than 25 or 24, I think that's a really good possibility with how they've started out um, and the momentum they have in the 2022 class. We're also going to talk about uh, who players we think that are going to play in the 2022. 2021 uh, class uh, guys we think that are going to contribute out of the link up 21 class. And then we're going to talk about some basketball. We got a top 10 team as Parker predicted would happen if they ended up winning last week. And they did, obviously they lost against Texas tech uh, without Austin Reeves and Alondis Williams on the road, but they almost pulled it off against a very good Texas tech red Raiders team. Uh, and to end up, we are going to talk about uh, just a lot of random things, uh, things that are on our mind. Uh, close it out by just talking about 
Dennis Simmons, potentially his, his new raise and a bunch of other things we have going on. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to Oklahoma Sooners athletics, it's particularly the football program and basketball program. And we're going to get that started right now, guys. How you guys been? Fantastic. Excited to break down all the, well, inaction thing here on national Sunday. We've been talking about it all day. This is about as uneventful a national signing day as there has been for Oklahoma in recent memory, obviously didn't sign any guys, all 16 of their uh, scholarship signees in this 2021 cycle signed on early signing day. And in fact, 10 of them enrolled early. So you add in the five transfers and Oklahoma may not be done in the portal, uh, but you got 16 signees back in December, five transfers makes for, like I said, a pretty uneventful national signing day, which isn't the worst thing. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's a certain contingent of Sooner fans out there that would have liked to have a little bit more on the Sooner's plate today. But, you know, with the way that this class is shaping up, you can't really, you, there aren't really too many bones to pick with how Lincoln Riley and his staff have assembled this recruiting class. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Probably the most eventful part of the day was me putting on my favorite hoodie. So that's that's how today's going. But outside of that, man, it's been nice to kind of kick back and see things unfold from a national landscape perspective. And so excited to dive into everything, have a good conversation. And hopefully, as signing day was relatively uneventful, hopefully the podcast production is uneventful as well. We can put this thing out this time around. So let's get into it, fellas. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I muted myself there because I was trying to find Lincoln Riley's um, his, 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 the quote. So I asked him today if they had this stuff in mind. Um, y'all can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. I, everything sounds so much different now for some odd reason. Uh, just kind of went down really, really quickly in volume after I hit myself in the mute. So. I think I fixed whatever hot mic I had to begin with. Um, so anyways, Lincoln Riley, I asked him today, Hey, you know what, did you guys have this thing planned? Did you want to only sign a certain amount? Because we all need to remember that they get to go up into 110 scholarships in 2021 season. Um, there's a lot of guys that get to come back, whether it's basketball, football, this was a free year for so many guys. If they chose to use it, as that and obviously if you're a freshman you chose to use that sophomore junior but did the seniors choose to use it and a lot of seniors are coming back to Oklahoma once again and uh so so Lincoln Riley said they went into this with the particular attitude of they're only going to sign what 18 19 guys potentially if they ended up with Bryce Foster if they ended up with Tristan Lee if they ended up with Kamar Wheaton that's where they wanted to end it because they wanted to test the waters and see what they could do as far as adding depth, adding guys that could come in and contribute instantly out of the transfer portal. Um, and if I can find it, this is exactly what he said. I think I think it was just conversations ongoing, and you know, just trying to 
think the thing we've just tried to do is not look, you know, so directly in the moment. I mean, I, I think so many people, you know, like this day and age, so many people get caught up on winning signing day. You know, winning signing day doesn't do anything. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's it's about just building the roster the very best you can, the best roster. And, and, you know, right now there's just so many different ways to build it than what we've been used to. And so um, I, I think we had to be committed to it. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people would have been nervous with signing the amount of guys that we did on that initial signing day. But I think we, I think we were very committed to, to our process and to our plan and believe that we were handling it the right way. And, and uh, I, I, I know if we could take it back or had a chance to do it all over again, I think we would do it exactly the same way. I mean, we're, we're thrilled with how, you know, we've been able to build the roster and not only, you know, in a nice mix of guys, you know, because, the transfers are great, and and I think they're you know I I hope for all the guys that we've brought in, but also it is still important to continue to bring in you know young high school players, and and we you know we love the class of, of young guys that we've signed. Like a lot of them are here already, um, and I think mixing those with with a few of the transfers, and most of these transfers have multiple years available. Uh, it just fit what we needed right now. So um, I'm. I'm I'm glad we're able to look forward and and I think project this thing, you know, decently and and then more importantly, I'm just glad we stuck to it as opposed to, you know, panicking there at the end of December and then trying to, you know, load up on a few more guys. We we stuck to our guns and I think it paid off. There you go, Lincoln Riley talking about exactly what they wanted to do, you know, on the uh whether it's a transfer portal or recruiting uh recruiting grounds, only getting 16 guys to sign in this class. What what did you guys think of that uh, that strategy? And how hard do you think it was for them to stick to that when things were going downhill? As he he kind of reiterated a little bit uh in this past uh uh as far as late December. It it it, it got a little bit dicey and scary for Oklahoma there for a bit. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you take a look at how light Oklahoma's class is, especially in comparison to some of these other classes uh, that pulled in a plenty of the top recruits in this cycle. And that's why it that's why it boggles my mind that there are actually people freaking out about the fact that Oklahoma dropped out of the top 10 recruiting rankings today over uh, at least according to 24 seven over our uh, main mothership site, because you look at the teams in the top 10, Oklahoma has 16 commits, right? Every other team in the top 10 has at least 19. The Sooners finished two points behind Notre Dame in our metric, 269 for Notre Dame, 267 for Oklahoma. Notre Dame had 27 commits. So it was less about quantity and a lot more about quality for Lincoln Riley and his staff this go round, which makes a lot of sense, right? Riley and his guys wanted to make sure that they did not have an overload heading into 2022 because the way that COVID-19 has impacted everything with regard to how a college football roster takes shape, those are reverberations that are going to be felt for years down the road, not just here in 2021. So Yeah, there were a lot of guys that Oklahoma was in the mix for that they didn't end up getting. Obviously, you're talking about Tristan Lee, Bryce Foster, Marlon Wheaton, kind of the top three in that regard. But you look at the 16 guys that Oklahoma got, and we'll go a little bit more into detail uh, with each of them a bit later on. But all these guys are players that can contribute early in their collegiate careers. And that's what Oklahoma 
I think more than anything wanted to accomplish with this 2021 cycle and is what they did accomplish. It's why they didn't feel it necessary to even send out a letter of intent to any of the outstanding prospects still on the board today on national signing day, because they got their guys, the guys that they missed on, they shored up those positions of need with additions via the transfer portal. And right now you're looking at a team that could very well contend for a national championship next season. And they don't need any more guys than the amount that they already have in that locker room. 16 was the perfect number for this class. Sure, it would have been nice to get Lee, to get Wheaton, to get Foster. Uh, obviously, those guys are going to have a tremendous impact at their respective programs and would have had a similar impact at Oklahoma. But I have to acknowledge that regardless There's not all that much more that he can add to your room, right? And that's why I wrote earlier about Kamar Wheaton. The guy was gravy for Oklahoma's recruiting class. He really was because you look at the running back room as it stands. You got Kennedy Brooks. You got Eric Gray, two guys that are going to be a phenomenal one-two punch. You've got depth with Seth McGowan and Marcus Major, as well as Mikey Henderson. Oklahoma didn't need Kamar Wheaton. They would have liked to have him, sure but they didn't need him. And that's that was the situation with a lot of the guys that you figured Oklahoma might be in play for on National Sign Day. You think about Josh Simmons and Austin Uke. Would they have would they have been additions for Oklahoma? Would Oklahoma have taken them? And maybe a week or two ago, but especially after they hit the transfer portal as hard as they did. And like I said, shored up those positions of need. There wasn't really any apparent requirement for the Sooners to go out and make any additional splashes on the recruiting trail. So (laughs) it's kind of hilarious to me that everyone's making a big fuss out of this when we all know what's happening in the world today. And if you're a coach in this day and age and you're unable to travel, you're unable to see prospects, you're basically living off of word of mouth and huddle films. Why the hell would you even try to take risks, especially when you're in a position like Oklahoma, where you know you're probably going to get a good amount of people back on the roster? You've built a roster in and of itself that's pretty darn good. And you know, moving forward, that you have a chance to construct pretty strong recruiting classes as you capitalize off of the momentum that your current roster is going to build. Why would you even risk it. I mean, what's the point? Why waste time going after a whole bunch of other players just for the sake of numbers and recruiting rankings? I mean, yes, I understand why fans want to see the OU emblem inside of the top 10, but in the day and age of a national pandemic where you're still competing for a national championship, here's one of the last things you can afford to do is take a risk on a whole bunch of guys that you have no idea what can bring to the table when you know full well you can go out and get guys and be selective when you're much more sure of what they can contribute in a more immediate basis. And so that's why, for me, this recruiting cycle is going to be one of the most memorable for years to come is because I think several years from now, we're going to look back on this cycle and say, wow, maybe they knew what they were doing when they went out and got the guys that they trusted filled in from the transfer portal. And then from there, we're actually able to construct a roster, not of guys that 
maybe you question whether or not they deserved a spot, but of guys that you knew could help them go and achieve the goals that they had set. No way, guys. They can't. They don't know what they're doing. They're not getting a top 10 class. You can't win a national title with the top 10 class. As Clemson raises their hands, they didn't have a top 10 class, nor did they have anywhere near a top 13 class until 2016 after they were in the national title game. Mind you, mind you. And I mean, they, hell, like I, Kansas beat Iowa State in the recruiting rankings this year. So right. well, I mean, what are we going to sit here and say that automatically Kansas is better than Iowa State? Or no, they, they just signed more. Right. Winning for a national championship. It's like, come on, guys. Inflation in this day and age is just something you got to consider, man. It's, it's really funny. It's very funny. And people need to look at And I tell people this all the time, and I know you guys do as well. Uh, yeah, they signed 16. If you look at the average player that they brought in, this is one of the best classes in the country. And you're talking about when you, when your average is like almost 94 per, per commit, like rating per commit. Do people understand how good that is? Like, do they understand like 94 is averaging your average commit is in the top 200 in the country. Literally, that's what that means. Your average commit is in the top 200 in the country. So if you have 16 guys committed to your class and it averages out to what the average person in the top 200 on 247 is rated, that is a damn good class. And I know you're going to have some five stars that are going to inflate some of that stuff. But Oklahoma, how many three stars did they actually end up with? Was it like three, four? Something Not like that. Many. Everything else was four and five stars. Am I correct on that? Basically, yeah. So what's the bitch? the only three stars? Would Literally, have been what's a, the bitch? Yeah, Isaiah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Isaiah Co, Colin Montgomery, and Danny Stutzman are the only three stars. And Stutzman and is a guy that we had twenty four seven. Branch is a four star. Exactly. So, yeah, if you're looking at average quality of recruit, this is as good of a class as Oklahoma has had in recent memory. And another thing you got to too, is that numbers only tell part of the story, right? Take a look back at the 2017 class, for instance. You're talking about a class in which Oklahoma brought in guys like CeeDee Lamb and Charleston Rambo and Trey Herman and Kennedy Brooks and Marquise Jones and Tyrese Robinson. Guys like Levi Draper and Addison Gunn, so many of these guys that didn't have much of an impact, if at all, while they were in the Crimson and Cream. Zacchaeus McKinney, right? Troy James. There are so many of these recruits year in and year out that come in and have a big impact. And then conversely, there are so many of these recruits that get to campus and you never hear from them again. So Oklahoma taking 16 guys that they know and are confident can make an impact, whether immediately or down the line, speaks to the the direction that Lincoln this program, right? They're not, they're not trying to have any dead weight. And that's one thing that we have to keep in mind when we're discussing this 2021 cycle is you don't want to bring in numbers just for the sake of bringing in numbers. You don't want there to be dead weight. If you're talking about a championship roster, you want to have a roster that's chock full of guys that you can throw on the field and they're going to compete at a high level. And Lincoln Riley and this staff are confident that every one of those 16 guys can compete at a high level and play one day and start one day for the University of Oklahoma. And, and again, to contextualize this, 
for Oklahoma to put together that caliber of per commit rating in this day and age is ridiculous. And a lot of fans will sit at home and try to counterpoint with, well, Alabama put together one of the best recruiting classes we've ever seen because, and it helped because they went out and signed like 27 guys. Well, Alabama still isn't out here signing scrubs, right? I mean, Alabama signed one of the most ridiculous recruiting classes in the history of the rankings because it's made up of basically all absolute dudes. And I mean, we're talking about JC Latham and the Brockermeyer twins. I mean, guys that, you know, could probably play right away for a lot of other big name programs, but because it's Alabama, they can go out and get like a Terry on Arnold, who I think is an absolute stud because not only do they have the means, but they know that he can play. Now, Oklahoma doesn't have a similar luxury, but they still go out and put together a caliber of per commit rating that's up there in the what, top four or five? I mean, you, again, you kind of have to take all this with a grain of salt and realize and appreciate what this staff was able to accomplish being so limited, being so restricted, and still finding a way to piece together a class that you feel comfortable is going to help your football team in the more immediate future. No doubt. And you guys talked about Danny Stutzman. Listen to what Alex Grinch had to say about Danny Stutzman, a guy that we think is a four star at two, four, seven, a guy that we have projected and have seen. I watched him at the Under Armour combine. My God, he could move. Uh, the guy can flat fly. Um, he's a special talent and I've seen him in person twice. Uh, no, three times. I've seen him in person three times. And every time I walk away going, you know, he's playing against small school kids, but man, he's good. He just, he just does things that you look and you go, that's not a normal athlete out there. And he would be doing that against the big schools too, because he's that good. But here's what Alex Grinch had to say about Danny Stutzman. Um, and then with Danny, I mean, it, it uh, you know, he'll be a guy that, that joins us this summer um, is, uh, you know, some of the best, you know, when, uh, there's not a whole lot out there to have better high school film than, than, than Danny. He does some stuff on the basketball court. He's explosive. You got combine numbers kind of back up, which you see on video. Uh, comes from a great family. Um, and so, you know, no, all, all those guys, I mean, I, I think, you know, we averaged about 20 guys a game played on defense this last year. And so, you know, the, the, the proof is that uh, if you're ready, uh, we'll, we'll put you out there. And so uh, those guys have a chance to compete. So there, there he was talking about it. He, he just said it. He has some of the best film you'll ever see in high school. Alex Grinch doesn't do hyperbole. He just doesn't. The guy is, he, he tells you what is on his mind and what he truly thinks. And he obviously believes, and I know people are going to go, well, of course he's going to say that. He's signed the guy. Uh, I've seen him say some pretty questionable things about guys that he's signed. And been like, you know what, you know, uh, I mean, remember the remember the thing prior to Bryson Washington. You remember the remember what Bryson Washington was quoted as saying, "There's nobody that can play like me on campus," according to Coach Grinch, and he really yeah. believed it at that time. But Grinch believed it at that time after the spring ball. Now, obviously, DTY and Patrick Fields have since squashed that feeling with how they performed. And I know that they're viewed as kind of the weak link on the defense now. But, and I think sometimes that's a little unfair. That's a little unfair for them. Um, they're not the most athletic guys, but you know what they do is they, you don't hear their name a lot. And if you're playing safety, 
I don't know about you all, but I think that's probably the best thing. If you don't hear a safety's name a lot, that means they're not getting burnt and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and covering people. So uh, and they do what they're supposed to be doing in Alex Grinch's defense. Uh, so I'm with you guys. I think Oklahoma does exactly what is done, exactly what they're supposed to do on the recruiting trail. They've got the guys that they wanted. And then the guys that they didn't get in needs that they didn't feel like they fulfilled uh, throughout the recruiting trail, they went out and they spotted and how granted they just went to one, one school for the most part and just said, we'll take you, we'll take you, we'll take you and we'll take you. You come on over here. Oh, and we're going to wait for this guy over here as he, kind of decides what he wants to do because we really don't need him, need him, but man, he would be quite the luxury in talking about big cat Bryant who committed to Tennessee out of Auburn as a transfer. Um, and I guess we can touch on that because Oklahoma is going to potentially add for what it looks like. Things are looking really, really good for Oklahoma. Now there's some off the field things that are an issue right now. Uh, I would call it admin issue, administrative issues, if you will, um, that is causing uh, the holdup for an announcement for Big Cat. But if things go as planned, Oklahoma looks to be in prime position to add another stud, second team all SEC defensive end, mind you, that was hurt last year and still made second team all SEC defensive end. That's how good he was for some of the season. Um, so that would be quite the addition after losing Ronnie Perkins. What do you all think big cap brings to the table for Oklahoma? If he does choose Oklahoma now, we basically said, we think he's going to, but we don't know that for sure. 100%. Um, so what, what, what is, or at least we don't know 100% that he's going to end up in Norman, but if he does, what do you all think he's going to contribute at OU what do you think is his peak potential and what do you think the floor is for him as well well I think in terms of what he contribute as far as his peak potential uh, what I really like about the possibility of bringing in big cat Bryant is that it doesn't force you to rely on Isaiah Thomas and Jalen Redmond flipping between those inside and outside spots. And it's a luxury for Alex Grinch to be able to utilize two guys in Thomas and Redmond that can play at either of those positions. But you bring in another really capable guy that you can stick at defensive end to rotate in with Thomas and Redmond. What a matchup nightmare is that for opposing coaches and opposing offensive linemen who have to contend with possibly one of three guys, one of three guys with NFL talent at that, who can all line up at the exact same position. It just create, it allows Alex Grinch and the sooner defensive staff to construct a nearly invincible defensive line, because there are so many guys all across the line that you can put at so many different positions and you can have all these different permutations and combinations on your defensive line. That's going to make it extremely difficult for the opposition to contend with your pass rush up front. And so bringing in a guy that's second team, all sec. And I know I've said this already on the podcast. We have said it time and time again, but big cab Bryant is the type of guy that you do not say no to, even if you're already as deep with defensive linemen as Oklahoma is because his mere presence, right? His very presence on the football field, 
the swagger that he brings as a former SEC player, a guy that that the opponent will look at and say, okay, we know this guy can play and we have to account for him. It just creates so many more matchup problems for the opposition in, in terms of who they have to go up against on any given down. And we've seen Alex Grinch get really creative with the ways that he deploys his defensive linemen and the way that he mixes and matches them already. We saw that in 2020 and we saw more and more towards the end of the season as this defense gained steam. You saw guys contributing for a couple of snaps, then rotating off the field and other guys would get in the mix. Uh, but everybody maintained that standard of play that we have come to expect from the Oklahoma defense based on their performance in the second half of the 2020 season. Now heading into 2021, Big Cat Bryant is just another guy that you can add to the mix and be able to say, okay, he puts us in a really good position to be able to stop the run, to be able to rush the pass, and to be able to get whatever matchups we want in the trenches. We can move guys around. We can sub guys in and out, but we know that we are chock full of NFL talent on this defensive line. And there's not a single offensive line in the big 12, maybe even in the country that is going to be able to fully prepare for what we can bring up front. So I brought up this discussion when we were talking about Eric gray, and I don't know if it was able to be uploaded. So I'll go ahead and bring it back because I also feel like it applies here to big cat, Brian, the, the concepts of, Production and impact in the game of football are two entirely different things. You can produce, but may not necessarily impact the game. You can be impactful, but may may not necessarily provide a whole bunch of production in terms of statistics. I have all the belief in the world that this defensive front for Oklahoma is going to be able to replace a level of production to a degree that is vacated by the the absence of a one Ronnie Perkins. But I think the biggest question here is when you don't have that guy who took the field and single-handedly turned your season around with the help of obviously Ramondre Stevens on the other side of the ball, how, how do you replace that impact? How do you replace that kind of presence on your defensive line? And I think Big Cat Bryant has a whole lot to do with that because look, Isaiah Thomas, Jalen Redman, LaRon Stokes, Corey Roberson, Reggie Grimes, who Alex Grinch was sure to point out, and obviously a one Nick Benito, who's pretty darn good. That's a really strong group. But at the same time, when you add someone like Big Cat and you essentially ask him to try and play a similar role to a one Ronnie Perkins, that then allows you one more piece that opposing offensive lines must prepare for. They have to account for as offensive lines of years past have had to make sure they're blocking Ronnie Perkins, that then freed up a lot of other action for those other guys that we're talking about. So look, Big Cat from a production standpoint may not be Ronnie Perkins. And I'm not saying that's what he will be in terms of ceiling, but the production can be replaced by those other guys on that defensive line. They've got to find a way to replace the impact that Ronnie Perkins had and big cap Bryant is someone who can easily help with that. We'll see what happens. Obviously there's, there's a process still to go about, but in the end, if you add someone like big cat, you are again, taking one step closer to piecing together a roster. That's going to look very similar to the one last season, but you're going to have a lot of guys with one more year under the belt and you to provide them some help with someone who like you guys are talking about, 
is pretty darn good in his own right. So I think when you talk about Big Cat Bryant, you have to keep in mind the concepts of production and impact and how he factors in. It's going to help out a ton. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I For me, and this was just speaking to a few sources, they, they feel like if Jamar Cain can get his hands on Big Cat, you know, the guy's only had, what, 11 and a half sacks throughout a three-year career at Auburn. Well, and he's been dinged up some at his, during his time at Auburn, missed several games. But there's a there's a pretty – I'm trying to think of the right word to say. There's a pretty good feeling from a bunch of knowledgeable people that they really feel like Jamar Kane can – he's like a, like, a, like, a, like a puppet master with the edge rushers. And that's only after one year at being Oklahoma, but you, you got to see what he did with uh, Nick Benito, Ronnie Perkins. I mean, he got his hands on Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he's, he, he, look what Marcus Stripling did for the most part. Um, and, and Brendan Walker came in and had himself uh, some pretty nice play throughout the year during 2020. John Michael Terry kind of hit a ceiling at Oklahoma, but his ceiling was much higher under Kane than it was under any other tutelage. I mean, I, I think we could, we would all agree about that. So I, it just, there's a sense that if Kane got his hands on big cat Bryant, that there would be a big jump in his stock with the NFL. And I think that's kind of what this whole thing's about with big cat. I know it's about Garner and Kevin Steele and, the guy, I can't remember the other guy that is like Shelton like, Felton, Shelton Felton. I wanted to say the guy with his name rhyming, <laughs> but uh, so it, it was, it was all about that with Tennessee, but now that that's gone, I think now big cat's heads going, okay, well there's been rumors and all this stuff about me and the NFL. I want to go somewhere where this guy's producing, you know, someplace where somebody's producing sacks and of his three choices Oklahoma is weird as that sounds being that Auburn is one of his choices is the best defensive line uh, choice that he has how I mean, that, those words just came out of my mouth honestly because Auburn's been producing defensive line Colin you had something you wanted to say no yeah and it furthers your point because we're talking about what can big cat Bryant bring and and you're talking about Oklahoma versus SEC defensive lines. Okay, well, like, look at this from a more broad perspective, right? Let's talk long-term future. Let's say Jamar Cain gets his hands on Big Cat. Let's say Bill Beanbow gets Wanya Morris and, and Roy Manning or Alex Grinch gets a hold of a guy like Key Lawrence. Like, if you are those assistant coaches, think about the potential pitch that you can put together <laughs> if you get those guys from the SEC and you help them realize their full potential. Yep, I mean, yeah. if Big Cat Bryant comes in and he goes from, let's say, second team All-SEC to first team All-Big 12 and NFL draft caliber pick, I mean, pick up the phone. You know what I mean? You're going to be able right. to sell that pretty easily to some big-name defensive linemen who probably typically go to the SEC. Mm -hmm. If you're, let's say, Key Lawrence, right, and you're Alex Grinch or Roy Manning, and one of the big knocks on Key Lawrence right now is maybe he has to up his game a little bit in terms of pure pass coverage. Okay, well, Roy Manning fixed up Parnell Motley, and Alex Grinch has helped those safeties and nickels 
be pretty darn good too. So then you do that with a guy who went to the SEC, pick up the phone, because guess what? You're going to be able to sell that to some of those big name defensive backs in the Southeast who typically go. And then if you're, I mean, Bill Beatonville, like you get a guy in one name Morris who's a former five-star. He goes to somewhere he can't really realize his full potential because some technical aspects of his game and specifically pass property fixed up. He fixes him up. Next thing you know, pick up the phone. And these are all positions, mind you, that Oklahoma fans have been complaining about for years. And so when you talk about when these transfers come in, what can they bring to the table? They can bring to the table a whole lot of questions answered if you really think about it. And so, I mean, you want to address positions of need for years to come. Not only do these transfers give you that in 2021, but when you talk about the beyond impact, I mean, if you're an assistant coach at Oklahoma right now and you want to go get recruits to a similar stature of what these guys were out of high school, you better develop the guys that are coming in right now because it's going to add to your recruiting pitch later down the line. And, and I, I and I don't know about you, this this kind of what you just said kind of led me want to lead me into something completely different, but I think it needs to be addressed. Yeah. What Oklahoma's doing in the 2022 class, um, and they got a chance to have a special defensive line class in 2022. You're talking Amari Aboard, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, Derek Moore. Those are three top 50 guys in Oklahoma leads for all three. And and I know Ohio State with Amari is is up there. Clemson's battling Oklahoma, but I, I would say that Oklahoma has a pretty substantial lead. With on Clemson with Dindy right now, and with Derek Moore, I, I don't know who is, you know, chasing Oklahoma, but almost everybody you talk to about Derek Moore out of uh, St. Francis and Baltimore Academy in Baltimore, they all say the kid loves Oklahoma. <laughs> that seems that he has something with Oklahoma, and that's just another DMV guy that Oklahoma has kind of got their hands on again. And they just keep rolling these DMV guys out here to the Oklahoma city or Norman or whatever. It's kind of weird to see nowadays, but that's, that's a pipeline at this point. And so it, they have that going for them. Let's say they get all three of those and they end up with say Derek Brown from Texarkana, who I think will probably be a four star before it's all said and done and another to, top 250 kid out of uh, – was a teammate with, with Clayton Smith. I, I don't think it's out of the question to say that Oklahoma probably leads for him as well. I mean, mm-hmm. just knowing he's visited OU, his best friend goes to Oklahoma and is an early enrollee. It's pretty simple to put two and two together there. Um, but let's let's say they get those four guys, right, on the defensive line. Oklahoma goes out and has – Benito go in the first two rounds. Winfrey go in the first two rounds. Redmond go in the first two rounds. And let's say we're first three rounds. Let's say all those guys go in the first three rounds. And then maybe Big Cat two through four or whatever, you know, five, two through five. What does that do for Oklahoma's defensive line recruiting? Because they've already got Perkins. They've already got Gallimore. And you're seeing... Perkins and Gallimore already pay off in 2021 and 2022, basically with what now they haven't landed these guys in 2022, but you see it with the guys that are actually interested, normal guys that, yeah, they've, they have some sort of connection to the university of Oklahoma, but even people that had connections to the university of Oklahoma back in the day on the defensive line, 
They didn't give Oklahoma much of time a day. They were they were looking at somebody else. So you're already seeing it play out somewhat. How much further can this go for Oklahoma? Like, what do you think the ceiling is on that? Well, I think one thing we need to keep in mind here is it's not just about the guys that are going to be the starters in 2021. I think Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs are two Absolutely. dudes Good that I, I mean, they've got potential to be high round NFL Think draft Blake picks Smith. after their junior yeah. year. If things, things break their way. And I know, yeah, you already already touched on Smith there, but I think Grimes have, we, we it's almost like we've forgotten that Reggie Grimes is there, right? We get so consumed in those guys along the front that are going to be for all intents and purposes, and your starters, right? Jay, you insider yeah. here just recently saying he's going to have a breakout year. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, people, people talk about Jalen Redmond. They talk about Isaiah Thomas, Perion Winfrey and Nick Benito. Right. And Mm -hmm. with good reason, but at the same time, you have a guy in Reggie Grimes that I firmly believe could leave Oklahoma as one of the finest defensive linemen, one of the most productive defensive linemen that we have seen in the past decade, maybe longer. And um, it's, you're talking about a guy in downs that I know Brandon, you just love him. And I do too. Every time I watch him, I'm higher and higher on him. And so those are two more guys that you throw in the mix as you know, players that could potentially be high round NFL draft picks one day. And it's just, it's one guy after another, you've created this vicious cycle on the defensive line. Almost. If you're able to keep things flowing in this direction where every year you're replacing NFL talent with NFL talent. And then it's, I, I, I call it the Saban effect, right? It's mm-hmm. you get to a certain point in time where the recruiting pitch writes itself. You don't even really have to try <laughs> guys. Look at what you've done. And they say, I want to be a part of that. And that's what Oklahoma could do, particularly on the defensive line over the next few years. If things continue in this direction, I, I, with Colin, I hear, I, I feeling and we're going to hear a Corey Roberson talk and we're going to hear <laughs> Kelvin Gilliam Am I right? You hit the nail on the head, my guy. <laughs> nail on the head, man. I'll tell you what. It Those two, look, Parker nailed it. Ethan Downs is one of the most dominant camp defensive linemen I've ever seen. He's pretty darn good with the pads on. Obviously, Reggie Grimes is someone that Grinch pointed out. But I keep hearing about this Corey Roberson kid. And you, do, you guys know how I feel about KG, man. I'm just yep. telling you. I think Kelvin Gilliam's got a chance to play over the defensive front. I think he's a kid that that could easily be a team captain in the coming years whenever he really comes into his own, the way that he presents himself vocally and with his work ethic. I think when we look at this from the broad perspective we're talking about, it's safe to say that the next, let's call it three to five years, are maybe the most pivotal in terms of Oklahoma's defensive recruiting. Because you're now talking about the ballpark where we're seeing all of that hard work be put to the test and potentially pay off. We're talking about the NFL draft picks, but then we're also talking about the guys filling in. There are guys leaving the roster who can go play professionally, but there are guys on the roster who can sub in for those professionals. And now there are guys coming into the roster potentially who can play just as well as the guys who would be on the roster. So this is a whole system. And in order for everything to come together and truly put Oklahoma into the position that Parker, like you're talking about where the pitch kind of writes itself, this is the defining moment over the next three to five years. As we see these string of guys come in and out of the program and basically put on paper, what Oklahoma can provide 
along the defensive line. So this is huge, man. I mean, this is it in a way. This is now the time where you see all the fruit of the labor pay off. And if it goes the way that it could, then we're legitimately talking about Oklahoma as a premier destination for some of the top defensive linemen across the country, which is obviously a huge deal. Right. And one it, thing it, I want to go ahead. Yeah. Can, can I tack on one thing there? Yeah, go ahead. Con, I know you have stood next to Kelvin Gilliam in person for anybody <laughs> that has not seen a full body photograph of Kelvin Gilliam, go find one because that dude, you look at him. He's one of the most physically imposing 17 year old kids you will ever see. It doesn't yes. take a road scholar to tell you, okay, that guy's going to be a freak of nature at the collegiate level one day. It's ridiculous how he's built, man. I just don't, I don't get it. And he's going to add weight. And this dude, this dude trains like every day. And you're just sitting there like, how much, how much more can you get bigger? Is How is it even possible? Mm-hmm. So look, man, K- KG is just, I mean, he's a really darn good football player and a really good young man. And that's just the kind of guy from an on player off the field perspective that Oklahoma is getting right now. And that's why I'm telling you and why we're telling you the next few seasons, whether it be actual college football player recruiting, they're very, very defining for the OU football program. I'm with everything that you guys said. Um, Look, I, the, the defining moment in, as you were saying, Colin, I, I do, I think that this is, and that's why I asked that question this is a pivotal moment for Oklahoma because we don't know what is going to take place in this 2022 class. We have a feeling we do as far as who they're going to land um, and how these guys are going to be ranked because realistically, those three guys that I named to start with uh, Dindy, Gabriel Brownlow, Dindy, Amaria Boer and Derek Moore, all three, you know, Dindy's already a five-star, but the other two are right there. Like, they're right on the cusp of five-star. They're all ranked, and the, they're like 44 through – or 40 through 48 or something like that in the rankings right now. And if you're there right in January, you were kind of in that, you know, the range where you could end up being a five-star when it's all said and done. So this is – this is all kind of new territory for Oklahoma as far as recruiting goes. Did Do you guys, and before we get into the Buki thing, because I think the Buki thing is going to be something that we get kind of hot about as far as the fan perspective goes, because I think we all three probably think the same thing as far as Buki goes in uh, his transfer. And we'll have, we'll have Riley's statement on here as well, but uh, before we do that, and let's segue into, since we were talking about 2022 and guys are landing, name three players you guys think will be in the 2022 class by the end of April. Ooh. End of April. That's yeah. a tough Who will be committed to champion 22 by the end of April? I haven't even thought about this. I haven't even thought about this. I'm this is totally I'm just going off the cuff here. So okay. <laughs> what do you what do you say? You want me to lead it off or what? We may have some we may have some overlap here, Colin. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. I'll okay. So I'll try and start with I don't know, maybe some under the radar guys and maybe one of the most under the radar, but where I really like where things stand for OU. I'm going to go to the offensive line. Okay. And I'm going to go to an overlooked position. 
You're going to go Duncanville? No, surprisingly, oh, really? no. but really? you know, I, you know, I like my Duncanville guys. In yeah, Ken I thought that's January. where you were headed. I thought that's where you're headed. Yeah, okay. Those are my okay. guys. I like those two okay. a lot, but I'm going to tell you right now, I really like Oklahoma is with Demetrius Hunter, the center out of West Orange Stark in Orange, Texas. The okay. Eastern, the easternmost city in the state of Texas. He is, he's put it on record that Oklahoma is probably the team he hears from the most. And Bill Bedenboe has apparently really liked what this guy can provide. And while he's a three-star player and he's at the center position, so not something you typically see inside the top 247 when he comes to player rankings. No, you don't. This is a guy, if you go, oh yeah. Well, this is a guy. He finally did at the end. Yes. If you go look at some of these guys, like social media posts about Demetrius Hunter, like I saw one last month. I mean, this is a vicious player who can play the guard or center spot. And I also love his demeanor, a great kid to talk to. So I think Demetrius Hunter is one to watch. I kind of get the sense this is an Oklahoma Texas A&M battle, which shocker. <laughs> but I I really do like where Oklahoma is there. And I, I really feel like if Oklahoma continues to press, it could pay off here pretty soon. I mean, I'll, and then this kind of comes into the whole easy grab situation. Right. I mean, I'll go ahead and rattle off the guy that's in state though. Right. I mean, Gentry Williams is probably a safe bet over the long haul. Now, April is a question mark, obviously, mm-hmm. but I, I, look, when it comes to all of that, maybe there's somebody else up there though. Yeah, there's somebody else up there, right? Maybe something goes down to where Oklahoma can convince him to move early and become a leader for this class. Now, I still think that Gentry's going to sort through the process, and rightfully so, as he's one of the best players in the country. But again, everyone's aware of the ties here between Williams and OU, and so. I think when you're talking about maybe a process that could be accelerated, where better to target than an in-state guy of high caliber who you can pitch to as being the face of the class? Mm-hmm. Gentry Williams is obviously that kind of player. And then, look, there's someone who you could mention here who, I don't know, <laughs> maybe he's coming up this week. I don't know, but I'll, I'll kind of go on the other side of this. Yeah. I mean, you can't, well, okay. Can we make a rule that you can't say <laughs> that person? Yeah. I mean, and if you, members, if, yeah, if you, if you people listening don't know what we're talking about, go to OU Insider, please. Yeah. Let's, let's, we're not going to say that name. And you can say, oh, well, you guys didn't predict that. Okay. That's an easy prediction. So let's not go there. Let's yeah. not do that. So, so we're trying to make this hard. Yeah. So I'll go to the other side. And I mean, again, the ties that are working here between Oklahoma and Gavin Sawchuk are very important. I mean, mm. there's a lot going on behind the scenes that puts Oklahoma in a favorable position. Now, look, some other big name programs, whether they be maybe more towards the academic side or football side, are going to be at play here because not only is Gavin Sawchuk one of the most elite players in the country, but he's an outstanding student and individual. And he's someone who has vocal vocalized his his prioritization of off the field impact. And so right. while I know that programs like, say, Stanford or Michigan or out, I mean, whoever you want to throw out here, Notre Dame play. 
I'd still feel like Oklahoma is the leader here. And again, that's a kid who you hope you can capitalize on in terms of relationships and get him in the class relatively quickly. So especially with spots being an, an interesting aspect there in terms of the backfield numbers, Sacha could easily be someone you kind of watch in terms of an accelerated process, like I'm mentioning. So mm-hmm. those are just a couple of names. I tried to throw one out there that's under the radar, but then of course, I mean, you two did. Of the bigger names that Oklahoma really wants. I'll go ahead and throw in there as well. That's a good list. That, the, the, the Dimitri Hunter thing kind of, Dimitri Hunter just kind of caught me off guard there. Um, but go ahead, Parker, you're up. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, uh, we will have some overlap Colin because, uh, Gentry Williams is on my list. And I think he's a guy that obviously you would imagine from everything that we have put out there and that, uh, through all the appearances uh, that we have seen over the last six or eight months would indicate, uh, that he is an OU lean and that it's a matter of when, not if he heads down the road to Oklahoma. And that's obviously something that can change everything's fluid in the world of recruiting we know this but he's his family has sooner ties he's the number one prospect in the state of Oklahoma and it's not close I really doubt that Oklahoma is going to take this one for granted they will stay on Gentry Williams as long as they need to until he pulls the trigger Uh, but I would imagine that you know if we're placing odds as to who's going to be committed here in the next few months that's as safe a bet as there is I look at Gabriel Brownlow Dindy as well another OU legacy uh, a guy that as Brandon you mentioned is a five-star and could be a very, uh, very impactful defensive line addition for Oklahoma very early on in his collegiate career. Uh, I could see him pulling the trigger as well before long here. And then for my third guy, I'll throw another one out there that might be a little outside the box. How about Jared Kerr out of Lexington, Texas? Six foot, 183 pound, two way guy. Uh huh. Who had an outstanding junior campaign uh, by all accounts. Uh, everybody that was covering him down there, everybody that saw a lot more of him in person than we did, obviously, uh, indicated that Jared Kerr was playing just as well as anybody in the state of Texas. And he wants to play defense at the next level. Alex Grinch wants him in the secondary. He told me last month that Oklahoma has stayed in touch with him more than any other school. They have come after him the hardest. And so it's not out of the question that that could pay off for the Sooners in the very near future with a commitment from him. Okay, so you had Gabriel Brownlow Dindy. You had who was the other one? Gentry. And Jared Kurt, right? And I hate you for Jared Kurt. That's right. That was going to be on mine. So I'm going to go with Tulsa Union's uh, Jaden Rowe. Um, I think that he's a six foot three, 200 pound defensive back, runs a tw- defense, yeah, defensive back, and runs in track, he runs a 21.3, 200 meter. I mean, the guy can fly. He's a great athlete. Uh, he can do a lot of things. Um, I do, you know, um, as far as I, I think he'll be a high three, low four, whenever things all said and done, you know what he's going to remind, you know what his trajectory is going to kind of remind me of this year is Jordan Mukes. I think he's going to be this year's Jordan Mukes in the state of Oklahoma, where it's just kind of, creeps up and then all of a sudden he just kind of skyrockets after a good senior season. I think that's going to be his deal. He's going to, he's going to be an instant three-star, probably an 89 overall. 
And then I foresee him kind of working his way up into that four-star range, which will make him a really good get for Oklahoma and a nice evaluation by Grinch and uh, Roy Manning. Um, the second guy I'm going to go with by April, mind you. Um, dude, you took my Gavin Sawchuk too, man. <laughs> because I think that if things work out in Oklahoma's favor here pretty soon, OU's going to have this first come first serve type deal at the running back position because they can use it. You know what I mean? And I think that might entice the situation kind of like the wide receiver situation at Oklahoma in the 2022 class where better hurry up, you know, that type of deal. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I was going to say Gavin saw Chuck, I'll, I'll go with, This sucks, guys. Like, this is hard. Like, you guys took some really good good. Pieces. I mean, there there is an offensive tackle. Right, but I, I know what I know about that offensive tackle, and I don't foresee it happening by April. Yeah, it's, and that's I, that. Let's see, that was the key part of the question, which yeah, makes everything difficult. I think it could, and but it, it, right now how they want to play that out, and we're talking about Jacob Sexton people. Yeah. Um, Four star out of Edmund Deer Creek, but offensive tackle. I think they really want to see how things go. Now, mind you, if that position starts to fill up, that's going to force people's hands as well. As well, so I think that is kind of this. Oklahoma is going to have to. They get Oklahoma doesn't get aggressive until they have to get aggressive, and they get aggressive once they land a couple of guys at a position, and they know they only have one or two spots. Oklahoma's notorious for saying, okay, well, we only got these two spots left. Either you take it or this guy over here is going to take it. And bam, you see that stuff fill up really quickly. I mean, they did it all last summer. Um, that's how Oklahoma was basically done by October recruiting. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but I'm going to actually go with, I think the guy's leaning towards AM, and he's an offensive lineman. But he, I think he's late, but he's visiting Oklahoma this weekend, and that is Hunter Herb. Mm. Um, the he, he's unrated, but he's out of Hazlitt, Texas, Eaton High School. Um, he just got a bunch of offers this past week. I, I want I, who, who all's offered him so far? Oh, he's got seventeen offers, but OU, A and M, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, USC. TCU, Oregon, Ole Miss, Michigan State have offered the guy. Um, I'm going to go with him. And, no, I know that he'll probably end up at A&M. But I think if Oklahoma does show out, and we are saying before April, that's kind of the key to this. And he, from everything I hear, he would like to decide here pretty soon. I'm going to go with Hunter Herb. So who was it? Who was, who was my first one? I said Jaden Rowe, Hunter Herb. I, the last one. <sighs> You guys took all my good ones too. It's tough because you can't. It's hard to say someone like Amari Abor at this stage too. And I know, see, but you know that's where my head's at too. I know you want to talk about them, but I know, but you can't because they really want to, you know, go see places, or at least that's what is being posed so far. I'm going to say Derek Brown from Texarkana, Texas. I think that's. I think that's that's a realistic possibility. He's already been to OU. 
his best friend goes to Oklahoma next teammate and Clayton Smith. And people that I talk to kind of feel like he's going to be a part of the class where there's a really good chance he's going to be a part of the class. I'm going to pick those three. So Jaden Rowe for me, defensive back at a Tulsa union, um, Hunter Herb, the offensive tackle, just cause I couldn't think of anybody else. And I'll go with, uh, who did I just say now? I just went blank. Derek. Derek Moore out of Texarkana, Texas. So those are my three, which my, okay. So if Oklahoma lands those nine, that's a hell of a class regardless. I mean, you got a couple of five stars in there. You got some really high four stars. And I do think Jared Kerr is one that I would have picked because I'm going to go down there and see him here in a couple of weeks at Lexington and do a photo shoot with him and talk to him and his coach guys, that kid's a baller. That kid can flat play. And mm-hmm. you can kind of, you kind of get a sense just from talking to him that he really likes Oklahoma. So um, I find that one interesting, especially with him being in the Austin area. I think it's going to be interesting to see how hard Texas pushes that one uh, when it's all said and done. And to, to further your point on, on Derek Brown out of Texarkana, I got a place on a pretty good source that Derek absolutely loves what Jamar Cain is about. So yep. keep that in mind as this thing goes, because it sounds like Mr. Kane has basically created a rapid bond between him and Brown. I would, I would not be surprised to see it pay off over the coming weeks or months. That's kind of why my whole thing is from talking to so-called people around Brown. So yeah, I just kind of, <laughs> just I get it. I just get a feeling. That's why I said earlier, he, I, there's going to be a good chance. He's going to be in that class. That's just my gut. That's my gut. And he was in my link up 21 predictions earlier. All right. So we've got that out of the way now to a very emotional. It's probably going to be us getting angry at some people, particularly OU fans that say things that we just, when it comes to a particular human being Um, and, and it's unwarranted. The guys made a couple of mistakes and we're talking about Buki. Okay. We're talking about Buki. He announced he was going to transfer. Uh, we broke that story yesterday on OU Insider um, that he was in the portal. <sighs> and then the masses came out that, you know, I just can't get behind things that are said about him. I don't know about you guys. Do we want to hear what Riley had to say when asked? about Buki because I think that's going to put things in perspective and kind of push us towards how we want to address this. Do you all want to do that first? By all means. Okay. Let's listen to what Lincoln Riley had to say when asked his thoughts on Buki and the potential transfer with him being in a transfer portal. First thing I would say is I certainly hope his career here is not over. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. He's had a great impact here. Um, the people here within the walls probably understand that a whole lot better than the people outside. Um, you know, and everybody's got to realize, I mean, when, when he came in here, obviously he had a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hype uh, around him. Uh, and, you know, he walked into a you know, defensive situation that year that was very, very tough. And, and, I, and, you know, a lot of that got put on him from a public, not certainly not within these walls, but from, from the public. And that's, no, that's 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 the that's the nature of the beast, and that's uh, the the good with the bad, and and uh, 
thing about that kid, that kid's had so many great moments here, you know, whether it being game-saving interceptions, big plays um, that he's had, game-winning plays for us. He's had, he's been a huge part of just kind of our culture, you know, helping young players. Uh, he's done a great job of, you know, being involved with with recruits and, and you know, hosting guys on campus. He's, he's uh, been a great student, a great ambassador for our program. And uh, so... You know, his if, if we can if we can get the same amount of contributions out of all our players that we have out of him, then then we we're gonna get really, really we're gonna get much better in a hurry. Uh so he's been fantastic here. Uh if he if he does decide to leave, then I'll be his biggest fan and, and uh I think he'll have I think he'll have a lot of fans around here and a lot of people that'll watch him. Uh and if you know, he decides to stay, which is what I certainly hope happens. Then uh, we're going to have one one great last run together. All right. So Riley kind of took a shot at some things, really, like uh, people outside these walls. Um, he went he went right after the fans pretty early in that uh, little comment that he had about Buki Parker. What is your thoughts on Buki? In the transfer, how, how much does this? How much can it hurt OU just because of his ability to recruit? And people totally underestimate that with that kid. His ability as a teammate, a leader. He does some boneheaded things, but he's always right there to help pick guys up that are struggling on the team, that are doing things that might have cost a bad situation. He's kind of really even killed. He's cocky. He does some stupid things on the field. He gets a couple of personal fouls every now and then, but the guy makes plays. He can't dismiss the plays just because of some of the bonehead things that he's done before. And the particular person that he is, is pretty immaculate. What do you think of him Parker in this situation? Mind you. Okay. Here's what I'll say. Uh-oh, we've uh-oh. all, we've all, been critical of Buki at some point in the past, right? That's our job. Correct. Yes, correct. And he has, at times, he has been erratic. And so I completely understand the criticisms that the public has of Brennan Radley Hiles. And if you want to say that he was a liability because of his height, fine. If you want to say that he didn't fit the system anymore, fine. If you want to say that he was too erratic to warrant getting snaps at the nickel over a guy like Trey Norwood, fine. But what I'm not okay with is the personal attacks that we saw last night from a significant contingent of the Sooner fan base who were overjoyed that this guy hit the transfer portal. Here's what I can't bring myself to comprehend. When you have four of the most mature, most respected players in that Oklahoma locker room, mm-hmm. in Creed Humphrey, mm-hmm. Braden Willis, Caleb Kelly, and Nick Benito, Preach. all coming out and tweeting and making public statements in defense of Buki on his way out the door, presumably. I don't know how you can't take them at their word because those are the guys that see what he does seven days a week as opposed to 60 minutes a week on Saturday. So if you can't take them at their word and say, okay, 
They know this situation much better than I do. They have seen everything that has gone on between the lines over the last three years. They have seen him grow and mature and evolve as a football player and as an individual over the last three seasons. If you can't take them at their word, I don't know what to tell you. So while I am perfectly okay with whatever criticisms you have of Buki on the field, whatever criticisms you have off the field, like if you're going to take your displeasure with this guy and his play over the last three seasons, and you're going to transpose that and create this personal attack on him, whereby you are essentially dismissing him and saying good riddance on his way out as he hits the transfer portal. That's what I can't stand because everybody in that locker room respects the guy. And I wrote about it earlier today. Lincoln Riley came out in November after Buki had drawn that really, really stupid penalty in the Oklahoma state game and fans and columnists everywhere were not happy about that. Brandon, they were not happy about it. And Lincoln Riley, three days later in his press conference, completely unprompted, came to Buki's defense, said, hey, you know what? I know you guys saw that play on Saturday night. I know it was stupid. I know he's got some things to correct, some things that can be fixed. But there is nobody that is more of a team player for our program than that guy. That speaks volumes for how everyone on this team respected Brendan Radley Hiles, regardless of his play on the football field. And yeah, the bad stuff stands out more than the good. I get that. That's how it is with any player, right? We remember the egregious mistakes so much more than we remember the triumphant moments. Everybody will remember his ejection in the peach bowl more than they will remember his interception to seal the TCU game a month earlier. That's just how it is. That's just how people are wired. But what you have to keep in mind is that when a guy is on his way out, when he has decided to transfer and his teammates or ex-teammates, whatever it is at this point, come out and publicly defend him and pat him on the back and stand up for him in the public eye, when when they have absolutely no incentive to do so anymore, when it doesn't benefit them at all, when they could just as well remain silent, but instead they make the conscious and the willing decision to come to his defense and to support him. That's obviously a guy that contributes a lot more to a football program than what you, the fan, can see on Saturdays. Can I can I read before, Colin, before you, you make your comment, can I read what Riley said unprovoked in November? Real quick to y'all yeah. so that yeah. so that the, the people listening know what Parker's talking about. So Riley came back in as Parker was talking about. And literally, and this was like at the end of his presser, and he like sets back down and he goes, Hey, I want to address something real quick, kind of like he did today with Dennis Simmons, which we'll get into that here in just a minute. And he says, I will say this. I know a lot's been made of I know a lot's been made of it. And I think I said this the other day. I don't think it got written about. I know Buki's taken some grief. No question there's things he's got to do better. I would say too, and hopefully you, talking about reporters, will choose to write this as well. I don't know that, that we've got a bigger team player on this team than that guy. That guy is the most for his teammates, staying late with young guys, most energetic, helping coach up young guys. He brings more to this team 
than what the people on the outside realize. While there's absolutely things he's got to correct and do better, I love having that kid here. He makes us better all the time. And we will be we will be a worse program. Kind of, it feels like he was foreshadowing this, by the way. We will be a worse program the day that he's not here. And then he comes out today and says, man, I hope he returns. I hope he doesn't go anywhere. Do you think Coach Riley's full of crap or do you think he kind of means it? I don't know. What do you think, Colin? Well, that was going to be my point. Speaking of things that Lincoln Riley said, let's just go ahead and talk about the aspect of this that should make Oklahoma fans sweat. He can come back. And guess what? We got the receipts on y'all. Okay. And we're going to pull them. And we're going to bring them back up because y'all are being ridiculous right now. You really come on. And and like, it's look, man. So some people are so quick to assume when they have no freaking idea what's going on behind the scenes. And that's kind of one of the things that I I really just get fed up with in this world today. And I I think there's just such a misconception when it comes to Brendan Radley, Hiles the person Mm. And, and you have no idea how many recruits I've been on the phone with in my short amount of time and long amount of time, honestly, covering recruiting stuff, how many times they've brought up Brennan Radley Hiles. And I mean, you don't even have to take my word for it. Go look at freaking Twitter, man. Look how many kids are posting pictures of Brennan Radley Hiles and their Oklahoma offer. Like I'm not BSing y'all. This guy means a lot to OU and he means a lot to the efforts that have been put together over the past few years that have put you in a position to now hope for a national championship. Think about that for a second. You're over here bragging because you think you've got a top two team in the country when you fail to recognize the fact that in large part, it is because of the efforts of a one Buki Brennan Radley Hiles, both on the field and behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So who are you to sit here and criticize that man when he has put everything on his shoulders and gone out there not just on Saturdays, but every day of the week and represented this program to the point that now they are in contention for both a national championship and some of the biggest name prospects in the entire country. And here's the other thing about this that we're not talking about. And I'm going to bring back up the receipts on y'all. Okay. I'm going to make sure that you know this. Some of y'all were celebrating this guy when he was a five-star defensive back and he took a risk on a terrible OU football program, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Some of the exact individuals I see on my timeline were absolutely throwing parties. I'm talking about block parties whenever this dude committed to Oklahoma. And now they're on this, this Twitter app. They're on whatever social media application you want to talk about. Absolutely destroying this dude. And you've got to understand that in order for a domino effect to be created, the first dominoes caught a fall. And what was the biggest storyline when Brennan Radley Hiles pulled the trigger that day? Finally, finally, Oklahoma gets a big name defensive back prospect. It finally happened. I mean, let's just call it what it is, man. You're going to have to be hard pressed to convince me that Oklahoma is getting some of the defensive backs of caliber. It is today. If Brendan Radley Hiles is not on the roster and he did it with, Freaking Mike Stoops. I mean, Mike Stoops was his guy, man. I'm just saying, like, you got to sit here and really understand there are layers to this. And and just like y'all are putting out these ridiculous tweets, maybe you got to scale back and realize what's actually going on here. 
and, and take a different approach. Because what he has done at the end of the day is basically changed the trajectory of Oklahoma on the defensive side of the ball, whether you want to admit it or not. And, and again, there is no guarantee that he doesn't come back. Yep. So just understand what you're going to have to answer to over the years to come and maybe the more immediate future if all this comes to bite you again and you have to answer for it because you're being ridiculous. And there is a whale of a difference between saying this guy should not be in the starting lineup and saying this guy does not belong here. A whale of a difference. Those oh, yeah. are two entirely different things. I can deal with the former. No one should be okay with the latter because believe me, if there's one player that does belong here, it's Brandon Radley Hiles. And I think we've seen a side of him that not many people have in interviews, right? He is right. so tremendously intelligent and well-spoken and approaches every single interview and every single media availability with the utmost grace. And he has had to stand up and face some pretty tough stuff in front of the media. And he has handled it all with dignity and respect and an even keel. And I'll add this in closing. This is the last thing I want to say. I grew up in Nebraska. I went to high school in Nebraska, and I still keep in touch uh, with plenty of the guys uh, that I formed bonds with in high school. And as you'll recall, Brendan Le- Brendan Riley House was briefly committed to Nebraska for about six months, um, and that was a guy that the entirety of Husker Nation was over the moon about getting, and they were distraught when he decommitted. And the guys that I still keep in touch with from my high school days. Um, they obviously, I mean, they know I'm in Oklahoma. They're touching base with me every single week. And there's only one player that they ever ask about. There's only one player that they ever hit me up about. And it's Brendan Radley Hiles. They want to know how Buki's doing, what the coaching staff thinks of Buki, how he's been performing lately, whether I'd gotten the chance to interview him recently. They love the guy. They love him, even if he decommitted from their program and broke their hearts to a certain extent. They're still following his every move at the university of Oklahoma. And so for a guy like that, that had such an impact on multiple programs, you're talking about Oklahoma and Nebraska, but especially for a guy that had the impact that he did on the Sooners, as you mentioned, Colin coming to OU as a five-star prospect when Nobody wanted any part of that Oklahoma defensive situation and what Mike Stoops had brewing there. The fact that he was part of the group that helped to reverse the narrative is what he should be remembered for in the long term. And yeah, like I said, I know the egregious mistakes, the stupid penalties, those kinds of things naturally stand out in people's minds. But you have to remember, this dude started for three years. He started as a true freshman. So is there a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth because of the way that the 2020 season transpired and Buki's role and all that? Perhaps. But you have to keep in mind, he accomplished a whole lot more over the course of his tenure in Norman than just the ups and downs and the rocky moments of this 2020 season. Brendan Radley house is a guy that has been through a tremendous amount and he's going to have plenty of success, whether he comes back to Oklahoma or whether he finds another destination to play out his final two years of college football. This is a dude that will be playing NFL football one day. I firmly believe that. And I feel as though 
we all need to take a moment, let all the emotions settle, take a look back at the numbers, take a look back at the tape, take a look back at some of the most iconic photos taken in Oklahoma at, at Oklahoma football games over the last three years. Brandon Radley Hiles is front and center in all of it. And that says nothing of his representation in the locker room, the teammate that everyone speaks of him as this is a guy that is going to be missed in the Oklahoma football program. And if you can't take Lincoln Riley's word for it, then you're the one out of line here. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to post some stats for people here. How about that? Let's throw some stats out here for you. Uh, keyboard, keyboard warriors that seem to think that, you know, more than, I don't know, maybe the football coaches do sometimes. Um, here, here's a little, little bit of stats for you guys. The guy plays in the secondary, mind you, at one of the safety positions. He has had 115 tackles in three seasons. So that means he's, you know, he's averaging over around 36, 37 tackles a game, probably. I'm just trying to do that off the top of my head. Um, and here's the other thing. He's had nine tackles for losses. He has one sack. He's got three interceptions. He's got a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, recovery, one touchdown, 11 pass deflections. Um, the guy has some okay stats for somebody that, you know, you fans seem to think sucks. I mean, 115 tackles at the safety position in three years is not bad considering how, you know, how sparse and Oklahoma plays man to man. So he's manned up a lot of the time. And I think that's the people also need to understand that as well. You're talking about a five, nine, five, eight guy that goes up against six, seven tight ends all the time. And he doesn't get abused. I mean, he gets beat sometimes. He doesn't get abused. He's still right there. He fights. And he's given up like a foot to some guys. So I, I just, I guess my point is I had a call yesterday with a California handler that handles a very prominent five-star and a very prominent several up-and-coming guys and seven-on-seven, four-and-five-star guys. And I'm on the phone with this guy. And you want to know what the first question he asked me was? What the hell happened to Buki? Why is he transferring? And you're talking about a guy that has players that are interested in Oklahoma. And his question was, why is California guys leaving Oklahoma? And mind you, he was talking about the defensive side of the ball for the most part. Because offensively, they really don't leave. But defensively, he was he brought up Jordan Parker. He brought up, uh, you know, Buki. He brought up, uh, I can't remember, there was another California defensive back or California player that I guess transferred out. But at the same time, he said, but then you have Caleb Kelly. You have a couple other guys that stuck around that were in California. And Buki stuck around for the most part. But he, his first question was, is why is Buki transferring? And I'm just trying to make a point that these California people, they watch and they see one of their most iconic players that came out of that, that state 
potentially transferring. And you don't think that's not going to make any waves for Oklahoma and their momentum in the state of California. You're, you're a fool if you think that, because they absolutely believe that. There's a lot of people that believe that Buki is a reason why Florida and California kids are coming. Because remember, he was at IMG. And I remember talking to Jaden Davis one day, and he said, yeah, Buki, he's recruit, he's helped recruit me. Nick Benito, yeah, Buki, he's helped recruit me. You know, that that type of thing, those guys have been pretty good players for Oklahoma, have they, haven't they? I mean, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, not bad, right? Um, and then there's guys on the offensive side that when they showed up, they were like, "Yeah, Buki was my host." Yeah, I, I can. I probably can't count on both my hands and toes how many times I've been told told Buki is my host. You know, the OU staff doesn't pick particular hosts uh, for certain guys unless they feel like it's going to help them, right? Do fans realize that? Do they get? that that is part of it. Now I know you guys are going to go, well, on the field, he made some boneheaded plays. Okay. That's great. But to be happy, he's leaving the program. Lincoln Riley's told you twice unprovoked twice that they're going to be a worse program when he's gone, because he's not going to be there helping steer these guys. This guy can recruit like hell, man. Like he is a damn good personable person that can talk to you can make you feel so comfortable and so good. Even when you ask him a hard question, and I guarantee you Colin and Parker can vouch for this. If you ask Buki a tough question, the first thing he will say is, that was on me, man. That was on me. That was really stupid of me. I got to do better. He does. He admits when he has fault. And I think that's probably one of the most endearing things. That's why you see so many media people and coaches come out and say, man, it sucks that he's leaving because he is such a good person. And that doesn't mean he, he needs to start for the University of Oklahoma. There's a pretty good chance that Key Lawrence coming in was the straw that broke the camel's back for him. Because that man, he, he was having to compete with not only DTY, not only Patrick Fields, the safety spots, but now Key Lawrence could be one of the guys that he has to compete with, along with Jeremiah Cardell, which he helped bring into Oklahoma, mind you. And he has not griped one time about it. He goes out there, does what he's supposed to do. When he plays, he's one of the first people to walk over and help his teammates up and run over there. And he may only play like 15 snaps at the end of the year, but those 15 snaps, you knew 44 was out there because you saw him make a play, number one. Number two, he was always there boosting his teammates up. He was always there in the celebration or the first person to go meet his teammates. At least that's stuff that us media people noticed. So... Watch what you say about people. When teammates, the most, as Parker put, the most substantial and most and the biggest leaders on last year's team and previous year's teams are coming out and talking up Buki, and they don't have to. They have no reason to. When the coaches are coming out, Lincoln Riley, who doesn't talk, when he doesn't just pinpoint people. Like, I can't remember a time when... I've ever seen Lincoln Riley unprovoked just talk glowingly about a person the way he does Buki. It never happens one time, and it's Buki. That's the only time he's ever done it. You talk about Grinch. That dude loves Buki. Loves him. There's a reason why he kept starting, and it wasn't because he sucked. It's because 
He gave them the best opportunity to win. Alex Grinch isn't playing somebody that doesn't give him the best opportunity to win. Hate to break the bad news to you people that think you know more than the coaches. Not happening. Their jobs are on the line. Their bonuses are on the line. Their family's lifestyle is on the line if these players don't do what they're supposed to do. Not happening. So next time you come out there and you say all these things, and like Colin says, there's receipts out there. There is receipts of you all being happy when he showed up and bashing him now that he's leaving and being glad that he's gone. You can't have it both ways, guys. You either love him or you don't. And the fact that some of y'all don't love him for everything that he's brought to the table for the University of Oklahoma program is beyond me. That shows that some people just don't get it. They just don't get it. Go ahead, Parker. Here's here's what I will always remember about Brennan Bradley Hiles. And um, I was not... I was not in the locker room after the Peach Bowl lost to LSU uh, because I'd come down with an illness that in. turned out to be COVID-19. But, <laughs> but Buki Radley-Hiles, who had been ejected in the second quarter of that game for a really stupid, really cheap blindside hit on Clyde Edwards-Alaire, yep. walked around to every one of his teammates in that locker room individually and apologized to them in tears about how he felt like he let the team down mm-hmm. and how he was, you know, he, he, he was committed to coming back stronger in 2020 because if there was one player that had a much more bitter end to the 2019 season than anybody that was on the field that night in Atlanta, it was Brandon Radley Hiles mm-hmm. because he wasn't on the field for all of Joe Burrow's eight touchdown passes. He was in the locker room by the second quarter because he got ejected for targeting. It was 14, 14 that was something got ejected. And that was something that he had to carry with him for an entire off season. And the narrative that he brought with him into the coming season was something that he was going to have to shake off his shoulders. But what stood out to me most about that experience, it was not the ejection. It was the way that he handled it. How mature of a person do you have to be, especially as a college student, how many other guys would have apologized at all to their teammates, let alone to each one of them individually mm-hmm. that that is Brandon Radley Hiles, and that's the kind of guy that Oklahoma is losing. So, yeah, it hurts. It should hurt. I witnessed it. He did it. He actually came up when I was talking to Trey Brown, Tyrese Robinson, and Creed Humphrey. He walked up to each one of those guys in the middle of my interview and apologized to him. Like, we had to pause the interview for him to walk up, and he was crying. He was crying. And not only that, he got to watch what happened on the TV And there wasn't a person more consoling and more uplifting to Justin Broyles after what he went through with with Jefferson. (laughs) And man, that was rough. He was with him, hugging him, telling him, hey, man, we're going to get this back. We're going to get this back. I mean, you could see we were witnessing it happen, happen because we were allowed into the locker room, which is just a rarity nowadays for us. And we got to see all that raw emotion with Buki, Justin Broyles. And, and he was one of the biggest leaders in that aspect of going up to him and saying, guy, we're going to get you back. You're going to be okay. This isn't on you. I'm sorry. I made my mistake. Then he walks around, comes back to Justin Broyles, hugs him again, pats him on the back and continues to console him. Then goes back and starts apologizing to more people. So that. Again, you're right, Parker. That That is a very good point of just the person, the teammate that he is. There's a reason why he's so beloved inside the Switzer Center. 
in around that program. Uh, he just is. He's endeared. He's endeared to even the most immediate people because his personality. Colin, do you have any more on that? Uh, so we were talking about like memorable Buki moments and you guys brought up some really good ones. And I want, since we're running long, I'm going to try and make this short, but to me, okay. this is my favorite Brendan Radley Hiles moment that I feel like literally no one but me remembers. Oklahoma's getting ready to play Oklahoma state and that zone blocking scheme with the best running back in college football and Brennan Radley Hiles, who keep in mind, some people still to this day say he was playing out of position, was at nickel. And they go out there to go play that Oklahoma State offensive line. That was a very good season. And that guy in the backfield who probably going to play on Sundays a whole lot. And he leads the team in tackles that day, playing the nickel spot, setting the edge, being undersized as we're talking about. But that's not the biggest thing here when it comes to Brandon Riley Hiles. This is why it's so memorable to me. He led the team in tackles in a rivalry setting against a run-heavy scheme where he was easily outmatched and outmanned. And he didn't get one ounce of recognition for it. Didn't even get a chance to be interviewed after the game. But as we're talking about, he so often was put on that stage, on that pedestal, when he did something wrong. But I think the summation of Brendan Radley Hiles, and it's really sad if you think about it, is that when he did something right, no one would talk about it. And I think that's an, a, a, an incredible mistake on all of our behalf, to be honest with you. And so this is just another added layer of reflection. It's not the fact that you so often pinpointed when he did something wrong, but he goes out there and does something like that in that circumstance and none of us talked about how he got it right. Yeah. It's it's really sad to think about it at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, man. That's a that's that's pretty remarkable. That game he did play really well. And I think I remember talking to you and Joey about how I think we all three were really surprised about how he wasn't sitting up because you at Oklahoma State, you remember they set you on that they set at that desk, you know, and you, we all sat in those little and we we're all just kind of like, dude, and they, Buki didn't even get, like, I remember his name was written down, but he didn't get to come in there because I think they're running short on time. But the fact of the matter is, is he didn't get to bask in his glory. The, the time that everybody kind of thought he was one of the, the lead guys for that day. And he didn't get to bask in it. It was like cut away from him. And I think that's a perfect, like you said, summation of his career at Oklahoma when there's a chance for him to be told he did a good job, it's kind of taken from him because, Oh, but you did this or, Oh, we don't have enough time. That type. I mean, that sucks. And mm -hmm. it, 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 it kind of probably is another one of the reasons why, you know, he didn't get his due sometimes with the fans. And that's probably partly some of our fault too, you know? Yeah. So like, I think you're right. Um, another guy that, you know, has had quite the career at Oklahoma and we're talking about a coaching career is Dennis Simmons. <laughs> uh, he's been a pretty good recruiter for OU and Texas tried to swoo him away, man. They offer a lot of money, a lot of money. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Oklahoma held it off. And I came out and I said, I think he's going to be named passing game coordinator. 
I didn't know, you know, for a fact that associate head coach was going to be stripped, stripped away from him. And he was going to be given assistant head coach. Um, but now he is your assistant head coach at the university of Oklahoma. Speaking of Dennis Simmons and passing game coordinator, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Do you think, was it a long time coming? Cause I kind of feel like it was. Yeah, well, it absolutely was. I mean, Dennis Simmons, and we've talked about him in the past on this podcast, right? He's one of the most crucial assistant coaches in the nation in terms of his prowess as a recruiter and as a developer of players. And so, right, we, I, it was not that long ago, Brandon, that we were talking about Texas making him a sizable offer yeah. to come on down the road, put on the burnt orange and coach against Oklahoma. And the Sooners couldn't let that happen by any means necessary. And so uh, given Simmons a little extra money, giving him that additional title, if that's what it took to keep him around, that's absolutely an investment worth making. Because if you look at what, what he has accomplished and the players that he has churned out and look no further than Marvin Mims last year and how quickly he was able to become an impact player under Dennis Simmons. Yeah, Simmons... It, I, I'm trying not to overstate it because Bill Biedenboe is every bit as impactful as an assistant coach, but I don't think Sooner fans truly understand or appreciate, or maybe they do and just don't acknowledge it fully uh, because of all the other storylines that surround this team. But Dennis Simmons is a crucial piece of the puzzle. And the Sooners are blessed with some of the best offensive coaches in the nation. And as long as they can keep the puzzle together, you got the makings of a really, really special chemistry on the offensive side of the football going forward. Yeah, man, just keep it simple. He's a really good football coach <laughs> who is liked. So yeah. probably want to do whatever's possible to keep him around, especially when not only is he obviously a candidate to go to some of these other big name programs, but probably a pretty good candidate for head coaching gigs moving yeah. forward and obviously in the past. So Look, I mean, that's Lincoln Riley's right-hand guy. He said so basically today. And not only is he Lincoln's right-hand man, but he's also a very meaningful presence when it comes to players in that locker room. So by whatever means necessary, you got to keep him on staff. Oklahoma did that. It was the right move. And so just take it what it is, man. It, it's, it is doing whatever is possible to keep one of your most impactful figures in the program around for the long haul. And that's what, that's what Oklahoma did today. Well, you know, there's a guy that isn't in his room, and I'm just kind of trying to show everybody just how, as you said, he's so impactful with players. Austin Stogner, when he was going through everything that he was going through, there was – Dennis Simmons was one of the few coaches, from what I'm told, or maybe one of the coach, that a couple of times a week was checking in on him, making sure everything was okay, making sure, you know, all that. So I was told that from several sources – that that was the case. And I think that kind of solidifies what you were saying, Colin, as his impact with the players. Jaden Hazelwood was legitimately thinking about leaving Oklahoma. I mean, we all know that. Um, there was a reason why there was buzz out there about him not coming back. He didn't show up. You know, him and Riley talked it out. Um, Dennis Simmons is one of the reasons why Jaden Hazelwood is at Oklahoma still. I mean, that guy and his relationship with players goes a long way. Same with Lincoln Riley. I mean, those two guys have relationships, Kel Gundy. I think, I think 
the relationships they have with the Hazelwoods, with all these guys is, I think, kind of underestimated. And Dennis Simmons is one of those guys. I don't know that he gets his due half the time. Um, there, I mean, again, uh, his recruiting prowess, Luther Burden, rumors that he could be flipping. Hmm. Well, when I talked to sources, Dennis Simmons kind of squashed that one from what I'm told. And they did it fairly quickly. I mean, he's an excellent recruiter. He's very good at what he does. He brings in all those five stars. He brought in Marvin Mims. Uh, he brought in Mario Williams, Jalil Farouk, Cody Jackson. He's the lead recruiter for Relic Brown, who Oklahoma seems to lead on right now, which we'll talk about here in just a minute before we close this one out. That's that that right there tells you everything you know. And he's got how many? What three-time Blitnikoff winners and Cody er, and Michael Crabtree and doing it twice and um, D.D. Westbrook, uh, what he's done with C.D. Lamb, what he's done with D.D. Westbrook, what he's done with Marquise Brown Brown was the other one I was trying to think of. I mean, the guy just knows what he's doing. Uh, So I, I, to me, I think that that's, that, that does, that's all you need to know. The guy knows what he's doing. Period. So, um, yeah, it's probably best to keep him around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty good to keep him around. Probably, probably a pretty good idea. And he's pretty good. Uh, from what I know, from the X's and O's, from what I've been told, uh, pretty comes up with a lot of good ideas for the Oklahoma offense that they use. Um, lastly, on uh, the football aspect, Blake Brown's coming out five star out of Modern Day High School, originally from Stockton, up in the San Francisco area. Uh, California area, um, Concord. He's announcing this Friday. Um, he is a do it all back, do it all athlete. He's kind of a slot wide receiver, running back, recruit for Oklahoma. If he was to announce his commitment to Oklahoma, how big and substantial would that be? I know that's a rhetorical question. Colin, <laughs> go ahead. So, so I'm just going to throw this out here because I've said it time and again, and I'm not going to dive too deep into it because obviously we're coming back in and I, I want Parker to go into his whole thing. But this is all I'll say. To me, Relique Brown is Percy Harvin 2.0. Bingo. I don't even know if I have to talk because that's what I was going to say. So go ahead, Parker. <laughs> uh, I'm just hoping that – if and when Ray League Brown chooses Oklahoma, if that is indeed the decision, hopefully that causes the fire DeMarco Murray people to die down a little bit. Hopefully yes, that all of that chatter. Don't yes. get your hopes up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're correct. I mean, DeMarco Murray is, a, is another guy that's really helped Dennis Simmons with that recruitment. It's been, you know, Dennis leading it and or Coach Simmons leading it and um you know, DeMarco Murray help helping him out and them kind of tag teaming Relique Brown. So I think that's a fair point. Yeah. And you know, it just, especially after losing Kamar Wheaton and I, I know Dennis Simmons has uh, taken the lead in the Relique Brown recruitment. I know Lincoln Riley's had a significant hand in it too, uh, but he's, I mean, he's coming in as a running back and I know they're going to use him all over the field. And that's part of the reason why it would seem that Oklahoma is the favored landing spot for him is because of how wide open that offense is and all the different capacities in which he could be used. But Rayleigh Brown is entering 
the collegiate level primarily as a running back. And so hopefully the fact that DeMarco Murray uh, was at least involved with the recruitment and the fact that it would secure the first running back commit in the class of 2022 for Oklahoma would cause everybody calling for DeMarco Murray's head over the Kamar Wheaton thing to peel back on that a little bit. But no, Brown is a guy that I, I, I don't know that we have seen as dynamic an athlete as Rayleigh Brown would be for Oklahoma in Norman, maybe ever. He's just that special with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. And you talk, and I said this, I said this earlier in the week, I'll say it again. I think Brennan Thompson is the fastest prospect in America. Rayleigh Brown's probably the second fastest. So you're That's looking fair. at two guys, two guys right there. And obviously there's a lot to be determined with where Oklahoma stands with Thompson. Uh, but I mean, there's a good chance Oklahoma could reel in the two fastest high school athletes in America. And Dude. you're, you're looking at a guy in Brown that can add so much to the Oklahoma offense, just in terms of his versatility and versatility is really the one quality that I think Oklahoma has taken a drastic swing towards recruiting on both sides of the football. You see it in the guys that Alex Grinch pursues. You're starting to see it more and more in the guys that Lincoln Riley and Dennis Simmons and even Bill Biedenboe are pursuing, right? Guys that can play multiple positions all over the field because it allows you to create mismatches at all levels of the field. And so Rayleigh Brown is a guy that you can do that with to a great extent and a guy that is a mismatch for just about any defender at any level. And so the thought of him catching passes and taking handoffs from Caleb Williams somewhere down the road, that should get Sooner fans excited. It should. Yeah, no, I, as far as like a comparison goes, like Percy Harvin's the perfect comparison. There's a kind of irony in Rayleigh Brown if he was to choose Oklahoma and that is DeMarco Murray is the other person I kind of, as far as how he was used at OU in the slot, uh, getting handoffs. Um, I mean, they, they, they lined DeMarco Murray up everywhere whenever he was at OU, catching punts, returning kickoffs. I mean, the guy was do it all. I think you remember him having like something like 2,800 all-purpose yards in 2008, like something absurd. And obviously he tore his hamstring, was unable to play in the national title. And that basically cost OU the national title in 2008, not having to mark him right because Oklahoma probably scores on those three drives that they had against Florida. No offense, Colin. And, um, and probably kick the crap out of him. I, I think I can remember just going to that game and walking to uh, the bathroom at halftime and Florida fan turns and goes, we should be down 28 to seven. <laughs> like they felt like they got so lucky and obviously they ended up winning. So that was good for them. Um, it, it, Joe Mixon's another guy, I think as far as, you know, Joe was used in the slot. He was used everywhere basically, but I think he's a more versatile version of those guys, a more fluid, more twitchy version. Now those guys were fast release fast and twitchy. I mean, that dude's got some slither in him. So I think that I think that's the difference, which makes him Percy Harvin to me. Yeah, I mean that's why I've been lobbing Percy Harvin from the beginning because I mean whether he's running the rock or he's running routes, he's like a hot knife going through butter, real smooth. Mm-hmm. So then you factor in that he can return. I mean Percy Harvin was someone who did literally everything on a football field you could imagine, and he was a little bit shorter, a little bit lighter, but it didn't matter because he was faster than everybody. He yeah. legitimately had Olympic track speed. And oh, by the way, I mean, he was pretty good on the gridiron. So look at Relique Brown. I mean, what he could provide in Oklahoma offense with Lincoln Riley calling the shots. I mean, heck, we 
we freaking saw it when he showed up to a camp and it was like, oh my Lord, how do you stop this guy? Right. I mean, it's going to be a whole lot of that in Norman yet again if he decides to come to Oklahoma. Now, now I want to add this too as we close out and we're talking about Relique. Don't think this is it because yeah, it's not over. Oh, it's not. Yeah. As we boost this kid, guess what? All of the other coaching staffs across the country are doing the exact same thing. So understand that once Oklahoma finally gets word on whether or not he is committing, they're going to have to hold up their end of the bargain because there's going to be relentless pressure from some of the biggest names yeah. in college football on this kid. And you can bet that this is going to be a sweated out situation until Penn hits the dotted line. 100%. Do you guys have crystal balls in for him? I do. I, th- I think I do, but I mean, where, where would your crystal ball go, Colin? Oh, man, it was, you know, it was a real tough one, right? <laughs> hard bet. Really don't know where this one could go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, that, the, finally, let's talk about Oklahoma. The, the, we talked about the tough schedule in the podcast that we didn't get to go up, and it was what six out of the seven were against top 10 teams. Um, we're top, yeah, it was top 10 teams, right? There wasn't anybody ranked outside the top 10 in the six out of the last seven games. Uh, four of them are home games. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma won one of them, uh, already and uh, has lost one with Texas Tech. Um, but they Oklahoma's been shorthanded. They get Iowa State Saturday, is that right? It's Iowa State, right? At home, it is Iowa State. I would say it at home. So that should be these one. I do believe that they should be back. Uh, correct. Or are they out one more game? Austin so, Reeves will be back. Alondis Williams is up okay, in the air. That's right. That's what, that's right. I knew one of them wasn't going to be there uh, or potentially not there. So how do you guys see this season? And I mean, being that they did so well without those two, which is just remarkable. That's 25 points off the board that they did not have per game. What do you all expect? How do you expect them to end this? Like, what seed do you all think Oklahoma? Like, let's predict it right now. What seed does Oklahoma end up with? I mean, if you if I got to give a one word answer, I'm saying they're a four seed right now. That's where I would put them. Well, okay, but at the end seed. of the season, how, how how do you project them to finish, and where do you think they'll be? Okay, well, this is a top ten team. I said it, and I'll stick to my guns because if they have Austin Reeves and Alondis Williams in that lineup in Lubbock against Texas tech on Monday night, they win that, they win that basketball game. They do. And so you really got to be encouraged by how close that game was at the end of it all. When you're down Austin Reeves, you're down Alondis Williams and Brady Manick is very obviously still not himself coming back from COVID. And once Manick is himself, this team's going to be scary. This is going to be a tough out in March, this Oklahoma basketball team, because they play true team basketball. They don't rely on any one player to get them 40 points a night, right? This isn't the buddy healed Trey young days of old. They're winning with contributions from all around and Elijah Harkless. My gosh, I could go on about this guy forever. He has been the straw that stirs the drink for Oklahoma. He has been the jolt of energy that they needed. And Oh, by the way, Mo Gibson hasn't been half bad either. He has been a lights out shooter from beyond the arc and has put up points for Oklahoma at times when the rest of the team has struggled mightily. And so both of those transfer acquisitions for Oklahoma have paid immediate dividends and it's got this team in a really good position to potentially contend for a big 12 title come the conference tournament. I firmly believe that they can go toe to toe with anybody. And I get that Baylor's kind of in a league of their own right now, they went but if there's a with Baylor at Waco, and, exactly. And so when they get 
Baylor at the Lloyd Noble Center later this month. I'm going to be really interested to see how that game shakes out because that will give us an indication of just how capable this Oklahoma team is of going up against the Bears in the Big 12 tournament and potentially toppling them. But yeah, I think you're looking at a four seed, maybe even a three seed if things continue in this direction for Oklahoma. And like we've said time and again, they're going to be battle tested come March, perhaps more so than any other team in the nation. So this is a team that nobody is going to want to see on the other side of the bracket come March. So Parker hit the nail on the head with all that. And I'll just add the extra layer here when we're talking about the finish to the season, because unfortunately my basketball recruiting rundown was lost to the wind with the technical <laughs> difficulties. And I was Yikes. really proud of it. I was really proud yeah, of it too. He so did I'm have pretty some pretty good stuff. He did have some pretty good stuff. I was rolling, but I'll just say this. Don't kid yourself if you're an OU fan. This season right now is definitely paying dividends on the recruiting trail. Whether that be actual high school prospects or the transfer portal, I just want you guys to know from what I'm hearing What's happening in Norman is being recognized. And there are some things that I've told people in the world of basketball recruiting that I've been told there's no way that are quietly happening behind the scenes. So appreciate what you have going on in the hardwood because it's paying off both on your television screen and behind the scenes in the world of recruiting. It's a very exciting time to be around Oklahoma basketball. And I will close out by saying that we got the receipts on the whole fire the long Kruger situation. So I'm laughing at y'all. I was just about to say that, Colin, because oh my gosh, we are never gonna let that thread die. That is my favorite thing about OU Insider right now. Yeah, uh, you're the one that brought that thing back up, weren't you? Like you went and Oh, you know it. I was. Yeah, you like bumped that. It hadn't been talked about for like months. Parker's on the job for like two days and fire long Kruger thread shows back up at the top of the board. Like, where did this come from? I look over there. The last comment, Parker Thune. I was like, Oh, you jerk. <laughs> yeah. you. you I keep out. the receipts. <laughs> you called them out. That was awesome. No, I, I, I think this team has a chance to be between a three and a five seed when it's all said and done. I think, they could max out of the two, obviously if they went out and they beat Baylor and maybe one uh, surprise one uh, down in Austin, I think, cause they still got to go to Austin. Correct. And then uh, yeah, they're they already went to Austin. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Dude, where am I thinking? Is okay. So Texas comes to Norman. That's right. Correct. They play Texas again in Norman. That is correct. I knew, I knew it was like somebody play Texas again. Okay, so if they beat Texas again when Texas is full strength and say they surprise and beat Baylor and they beat uh, – who who else do they have left? They got to go – they got – who else do they have left? West Virginia. They'll West have to Virginia, play West Virginia at, again. At West Virginia. If they beat at West Virginia. So say they win those three and they just they just kind of – they win those three um, plus all the other ones, the K-States of the world and stuff like that. They could max out at a two seed. I mean, that I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, especially when they're already sitting at nine, right? I mean, I don't think that's out of the question, right? No, not at all. And especially here's here's the other thing to keep in mind. They close the regular season with back-to-back games against Oklahoma State, which I mean, that's two big wins potentially exactly. uh, to get you rolling into Big 12 tournament play. No, I agree 100%. I think that that's, that's probably... Uh, 
Now, granted, I don't think they're going to get the two seed. I think they're more probably a three or four or five. I mean, between three, four, or five. I mean, that's that's kind of where I think they end up. But I, this team's good. It is a top ten team right now. The way that they are playing, I don't think that anybody can dispute that. They jumped up that far for a reason. I don't think they fall out of the top ten if they beat Iowa State this weekend because of their win and they played the two. They played. Texas Tech on the road without uh, maybe the Big 12 player of the year in Austin Reed, potentially. Um, so I, I don't know. You all think he can win the Big 12 player of the year? Is that is that is, is that out of the question in your mind with Austin Reeves? I don't think so. He's playing okay. well enough. Yeah, I mean, so I just didn't want to sound outlandish when I said that because I know there's a couple other guys that are pretty good in the league. Um, but he's, he's, what, second or third in scoring per game. Um, so I, I I just think I like this team. I do. I think they're gritty. And as you said, Elijah Harkless, stick him in my veins. Oh my God. I love to watch him play. He has, and he's got ice in his veins. That dude is not scared of anything. He drives a lane. He's beat up. He's bleeding out of his lip, his nose gets back up and just keeps driving the lane, taking more shots. Texas Tech is probably the most physical team in the league outside of West Virginia. And he went in there time after time, took shot after shot, and just kept on pounding at him because he he, he wasn't going to back down. He wanted to win that bad. Uh, I just I just love me some Elijah Harkless. <laughs> um, I guess that's going to be it, guys. Um, there is a 60% off. I don't know if we're going to extend it or not. If it is extended, you can go to OUinsider.com. You can check it out. If not, it's going to cost you about probably between $75, $108 for 12 months, mostly $75 usually for 12 months of OU Insider VIP if you do the annual. Uh, or or you can do month to month, $1 the first month, um, and then $9.95 afterwards, and you can wait until that upgradable you know, 50% off comes up and you can get that annual. So you don't have to keep doing that month to month too. So there's all that stuff you guys can do and you can join us with the thousands and thousands of other VIP members that are on OU Insider. That board is busy, busy, busy now all the time. We've been breaking records as far as traffic goes, as far as a number of members on our site. Parker's been a great addition. Colin's been kicking butt. Joey's been kicking butt. I sit back and just watch them and twiddle my thumbs and then they do all the work. And then after that, you know, I'll pat myself on the back, but, um, and say, maybe I did a good job or something like that, but be that as it may, OU insider breaking news, bringing you VIP information each and every day. Plus we're bringing you free stuff too, like this podcast, like a bunch of stuff that Parker Colin and Joey, Joey put out each and every day, multiple, multiple basketball, football, baseball, doesn't matter we have it on OU Insider, whatever you, whatever your feeling is, whether it's softball, we have it. I mean, we talk about it on OU Insider and we've got guys covering it every single day for you guys. If you're an OU fan, that's the place you guys want to be. OUinsider.com. Plus, if you do the annual membership, you can go to all 250, 247 sites and you can stock and you can troll and you can do things to get kicked off those but you still get to read it even if you get banned from it. So you can always remember that you can still read if you're banned. Um, but yeah, so it's a great, it's a great deal. If you're a VIP member, I know you insider, you're a VIP member across the board on two, four, seven sports. And I think that's what makes it so special guys. Any last words? 
here's what I'll say. Did you hear what Brandon said? A dollar for your first month of VIP. Give it a try. And I promise you, once that month is up, you're going to want to keep coming back because we got stuff that you can't find anywhere else. I agree. Colin? Enough said. Be safe out there. Y'all take care. And hopefully we'll hear from y'all again soon. Come sign up, man. All right. That's going to do it for us. I want to thank Colin Kennedy, Parker Thune for joining me right here on the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. Thank you, Sooner fans, for listening. Y'all have a blessed day.